Yes. Can I ask say one more thing? Um, yeah. I know we're only doing this every two months, but I've noticed that all three of you, and this is the first time I've noticed, have those bulby little microphones now. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like I need to really get one. We have for a while. I know. I guess I just haven't. I don't know. Should I get one? I look, Betsy's yours is really pretty. And it only picks up like what's in front of it. I can eat this chocolate over here. <laughs> <laughs> Whose is the best of your three? I think they're all the same. They're all, all snowball right. mics. They're all, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they're all the same. They're all the same. Yours, Betsy's is just chrome, so it looks cooler. All right. So, yeah. like, we, Liz and I are regular stormtroopers, and Betsy's like that special stormtrooper that yes. Gwendolyn and Christie played. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. Let's do it. All right. Let's do it to it. Popping collars is back, y'all. Woo! Bolt. Bolt, 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 bolt. your ear canals with the goodness. Uh, my name's Greg. I'm coming to you from Florida, the nation's swamp. So far, so far south that we've gone back north again. <laughs> with us from the nation's capital... Betsy Gonzalez. Betsy, what's up? How are you doing? Not, not much. I'm doing all right, Greg. I'm preparing for the World Series. I'm very sorry that your Yankees just didn't seem to make the cut. Thank you so much for reminding me no problem. of the Yankees' failure. I, I thought you that. might have forgotten, so I wanted to make sure you remembered. <laughs> With us from the nation's center, Omaha, Nebraska, it's Liz Easton. Hey, Liz, what's up? Hey, Greg. How are you? I'm good. Well, I'm hot off of diocesan convention, which uh, was awesome as always. A great reunion of the diocese and a little, um, not going to lie, a little tiring. Do they move your convention around? Like, because Nebraska is a big state. It's a big state and we move it every year. We go east, center, west, center, east, center, west, center. It's like you're doing a dance. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Square dancing. Like, <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. It is like square dancing, but it was great. It was really fun. Finally, with us from the nation's best coast, Ricardo yes. Adela. Hey. <laughs> How's it going, Ricardo? Greg, thanks. It's going well. I'm a little under the weather tonight, so any sniffles you hear on the podcast can be traced directly to San Mateo, California. Uh, where I am recovering from a 2.5-week pilgrimage in France, which was fantastic. Nice. Travels, travels with the Ricardo. That's right. Join me next time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this month, we're talking about evil. It's October. It's that time of year where you're driving around, you're seeing spooky stuff all over the place. But then there's also a lot of stuff in the zeitgeist right now. I don't know if you've heard, Joaquin Phoenix has this Joker movie, a little controversial. You know, I got swept up in the whole, like, succession show on HBO, which is about maybe the worst family in the history of the world and how they kind of manipulate each other and backstab each other. Um, And so we're going to go around the horn. So who wants to kick us off with their vision of evil? Betsy? I always go first. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, see what's happening here. 
You don't have to go first. Um, Liz can go first. Oh. Oh. Thanks, or- Ricardo. No, I, <laughs> I can totally go first. You know what? I'm. Um, I just saw Joker. Like I rolled up into my apartment, ran into my office, and here I am. Like I just watched Joker. Oh wow! So I'm a little shook. I haven't read a lot of criticism about it. I'll tell you, I think we mentioned this on a podcast recently. I saw the trailer for Joker, like the full length trailer when I was at a movie eh, a couple months ago. And I could not tell what it was about. Like it's, it was so dark and cinematic and like kind of urban and gritty. And at first I thought it was about John Wayne Gacy, you know, the serial killer who dressed up like a clown. And then I was like, no, that's not it. Why is he dressed like the Joker? And at the very end of this totally terrifying um, trailer, I realized that it was about the Joker of the Batman. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. (laughs) This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen to you. You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. People are starting to notice. Think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? I saw the movie tonight only to prepare for this podcast and um, a couple things happened. One is that I saw it in a theater with not a lot of people and there were some people who had a reaction that was entirely opposite of mine. So they like cheered for Joker every time he did something bad and laughed out loud. That was, to be honest, very disturbing. And I couldn't tell if, like, am I not getting something about comics or are they not getting something about evil (laughs) or (laughs) both? So I thought that it was a depiction of evil the way that we are tend, I think, to interpret it in the West today, which is that it was a combination of personal brokenness and societal structures and it was relative like it was not objective it was hard to tell who was evil in this even though it was joker right like i came into it with the whole batman story so i thought this was the origin story of the chief villain of batman and that batman is good and joker is bad and that got all turned around in this um, which was interesting and also kind of disturbing. And someone asked me after I saw it, what did I think? And I said, it was like a capitalist dream because um, there's this whole storyline where Joker inspires a whole movement of disenfranchised and marginalized poor people in Gotham, basically to sort of rise up against the, um, Wayne family and other 
wealthy people in what seems to be a socioeconomically divided city. And what was disturbing about that was that we know that Joker is the bad guy, right? It felt to me like, I mean, and this is made by Warner Brothers. Like it, it felt to me like a very capitalist storyline about, oh, those, the separation between rich and poor, any sort of community action that comes from that is villainous. Because it's tied to the villain, right? He becomes a sort of folk hero at the end of the movie, even though he's like the bad guy. Well, yeah. And from what I understand, he becomes the focus of this energy of uprising in the city, but has no sort of political stake in the fight at all. He's just an agent of chaos for the sake of chaos. He says he doesn't, but what is disturbing, and I know that um, the family members of the people who were killed and injured in Aurora in the mass shooting at the movie theater when The Dark Knight was being shown wrote a letter to Warner Brothers, like an open letter to Warner Brothers, saying, basically, you know, I'm not sure if you want to cast Joker as a sympathetic character Mm -hmm. and i kept sort of returning to this when i was watching it because he doesn't have a political motive but he does inhabit the narrative that we've heard of all of the disenfranchised young men who become mass shooters like he has a bit of a manifesto which he doesn't it's not explicit but he's a guy who has been discounted by society and people laugh at him and people don't see him and they make fun of him and he doesn't get to sleep with the women he wants to sleep with And um, then he sort of breaks and it's super disturbing. They took a, it took a very long time in the film, which is a long film to get to the place where you thought you probably shouldn't be rooting for him. And like I said, the folks who are watching the movie in my theater, they never got to that place. Wow. Do you think that there's something attractive about this character? Because like, I remember Jack Nicholson was pretty compelling Mm-hmm. Like that 1989 Batman movie was mostly a Joker movie with right. some Batman kind of thrown in. And Heath Ledger won the Oscar for right, his version. I mean, just kind of stood out. Like, was Joaquin Phoenix kind of magnetic on the same level? Like, was Oh, that- he was amazing. Like, he was amazing. It's an amazing performance. He's incredible. Physically, um, emotionally, it's incredible. And I do think, like... A lot of these comic books um, have sort of become our canon in American pop culture over time. So there is something kind of fun and compelling and super creative about recasting the origin story of a character. So you can imagine that in the biblical narrative, too. Like if you wrote a different story about um, Cain and Abel, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and really drilled down into that story and um, looked at it through a different lens. Like there's only so much we can do with these characters. So going back to the beginning and recasting their origin story feels really creative. So that was cool. And I can understand why a filmmaker would want to do that. But at the same time, um, it's like they didn't take morality into consideration. And I don't know whether it's also just how, how we, how much we've delved into the antihero at this point. And where we've kind of gotten to with that, you know, I'll even watch it with kind of looking at some of the young people I work with and that how humor has changed and mm-hmm. how, how, how you root on the chaos in a way that's, 
you know, you would typically think, you know, oh, well, let's just kind of push for stasis. But then it's like, no, let's just see where we can push this to and let's just keep going, you know? And I do think that it's true that as we get a bigger understanding of um, social history and and mental health and all kinds of things, we lose an objective um, appreciation for evil if it exists objectively, which I, I do think it does, we sort of lose that appreciation and it becomes very watered down and it felt a little bit dangerous to me. Now it's just a movie, but, but it did feel a little creepy. Just to piggyback on what Betsy was saying earlier too, about like joke culture on the internet now, like what more perfect villain could you have as like, joker where like none of it's for real right right you know don't take it so seriously like it's all a joke right um even the most even the most real things are just jokes an icon for the modern day way that we talk to each other online Mm -hmm. ricardo yeah evil representation of evil yeah (laughs) Uh, I am, I'm not going back to the 19th century. Uh, so I can tell you Jack that. The Ripper. Like, it's not Jack the Ripper. No. Oh, oh sorry. That, that's Victorian. We could still hit that time. <laughs> Good guess. Good guess. No. Um, you know, this is the, this is the one and only thing that came to mind, frankly, the portrayal of Lucifer in the Rolling Stones song, Sympathy for the Devil. Closing sequence of interview with a vampire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there you go. I think it's a it's an amazing song lyrically and musically and kind of it has a it has I think it has a a creepy power and I will explain. So I have uh, I performed this song with a friend on bass guitar and a friend on bongos and another friend on electric guitar at like a men's gathering thing. And everybody in the room got into it. They were like standing going, woo, 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 Because you got to. But it, it had this kind of incantatory feel. And we got a standing ovation and people were roaring. There's like a power to the song. But um, I was home once alone. You know how sometimes, here's a confession. You can put it on the tape. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're home alone. You got the headphones on. Song comes on. You're in the mood. And you start like you know, doing this and dancing. I was singing it out loud <laughs> and I was dancing and I kind of whipped myself up into a bit of a frenzy, like hmm. during the musical part. And I, and then afterwards I was like, Whoa, what happened there? This idea of a historical presence. And I stuck around St. Petersburg when I saw it was the time for a change, killed the czar and his ministers. Killed Anastasia the and his ministers. Anastasia screamed in vain. shouted out who killed the Kennedys when after all it was you and me mm. um it's intense and I mean 
just as every cop is a criminal and all the sinners saints as heads is tails, just call me Lucifer because I'm in need of some restraint. So if you meet me, have some courtesy, have some sympathy and some taste. Use all your well-learned politesse or I'll lay your soul to waste. That's intense. And it's, it's riveting. You know, I have, I have been there throughout time. I have, I have pushed people to do evil things, but you know, you're complicit in it as well. When after all, it was you and me. And, um, you better treat me with some respect or you're going to be destroyed. And if you think about evil and you know, all those movies and things that we see, there's a sort of healthy fear and respect you need to have for the killer or the malevolent force. You have to understand it to survive it. The, the, that idea of have a healthy respect for the evil that, that is within you and around you or it can really get you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a message that... Um, <laughs> applies <laughs> this game of time that we're all involved in you know it's just ugh, you know it's just the worst you know but i'll be there when they come for you just so you know you know like that whole kind of like i have an idea where all of this is going and and that in that song too this overconfidence of knowledge like i've been there at all the things you know there isn't a future casting but it's like just I've been there at all the things. I I see people giving into that fatalism sometimes where they just say, you know, it's all messed up. I don't care. Like, I'm just going to check out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it's our jobs to kind of stand <laughs> stand in that space and say, no, it does matter. Like, it does matter. Yeah. It is all messed up, though. But it does, you know, <laughs> like we've, we're, in the, we're in the prophets right now in my class. And so there it's really this, you know, I'm having to teach. I'm teaching Hosea today. And it's this, you know, that that this is to that as this is to that, you know, God is to Hosea as the people are to Gomer. You know, this idea that this unfaithfulness that we will fall into as human beings. But the fact that God says, I even know that that's going to happen and I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. You know, that kind of element of screwing up. And it's like, I don't want the kids walking out of the class being like, well, all human beings are wicked, you know, but it's more this idea of like, well. No, we just screw up. And sometimes we screw up in really gigantic ways. And sometimes we screw up in small ways throughout our day or whatever that might be. But that that is the element of humanity. It would be interesting if there was a response to that song, like a conversation with it from the perspective of God Mm. or Christ. Like, like, yeah, I was here too. (laughs) You know, I was like, Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. When I right. conjugate, when we do like the burning bush, and and you're like, you know, my name is I am, and I'm like, what verb is this? And they're all like, yeah. to be. I'm like, well, it's conjugated. You know, I was, I am, I will be. You know, mm-hmm. it's, the songs are saying that w- that would actually be really interesting, Liz. All right, Liz has her homework. Yeah. This right. No. Yeah. You're Liz, write a song, Liz? I, I need you to write a song as <laughs> right. good as the Rolling Stones. Sympathy yeah. for the devil. We'll see. That would be there a great go. sermon, though, wouldn't it? It would be, and we'll just place. we'll just do all the ooh oohs. Oh, okay, great. great. There you go. Back, my backup singer. Like, what is evil? Well, for our intents and purposes, while there may be an evil presence that exists outside of ourselves that is supernatural, our job is to caretake ourselves and those around us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, whether that exists or not, um, your job is to kind of quell the evil that might be inside you. you know, the 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 racism or the unkindness or the uh, jealousy or the self-loathing that can bring you to do things like 
the people in the movie Joker do. When I talk about the concepts of sin that come from the scripture, I talk about original sin and then I talk about universal sin. And so this idea of like original sin that gets developed later, this idea that the sin that dwells within us, right? When that Paul says is like in the flesh, right? That sort of idea from within. And then from the Cain and Abel story, God says sin is lurking outside the door and it's, you know, it's looking for you. And that idea of something coming externally and that human beings seem to kind of think about that in, in this duality. It's almost like being the carrier of a disease, you know, with original sin and then being, you know, trying not to catch the virus that's going around with the other thing. And so you take care of your own spiritual home of yourself. You tend to that to kind of ward off either from that, from within or from outside. But I think I'm more in the zone of that. It's the, it's the shadow side of us. There's the light and the shadow and that kind of idea that we are both and all and, throw in some fear, throw in some power, throw in some whatever it's going to be, throw in you being exploited and then you not being exploited anymore. And how you react to that unleashes that in big and small ways. I mean, I'm sure that there are people in the world who do villainous things knowing that they are doing heinous acts to other people. However, I think that the majority of people in this world do not see themselves as villains and do not see their actions as evil, even if they're interpreted as such by other people. Like, for instance, politically now, there are probably people that would say that there are things that are being done that are evil. And you could probably make an objective case for it. Kids being locked up in cages at the border and stuff. That's, sound, these sound like evil acts. But the people enacting these policies, I don't think they see themselves as evil. I don't think they see themselves as these great villains, right? Because it's their desire to have something, whether that be security, money, power, influence. Like, it's that desire that drives you towards evil acts, it feels like to me. So this conversation kind of leads into mine. Dang it, Greg, um, I was going to do that. But that's sorry. Go right ahead. <laughs> From first to last, Betsy. I was going to give you uh, first, and now I've pushed you all the way back. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Don't uh, worry, you're just developing a supervillain over here, Greg. That's fine. <laughs> we, all have, we all have a backstory, yeah, and right. now I'm going right. last. Mine is training day. All right, I'll go back to the valley. I'll cut parking tickets, you know? It can't be like this. It is this way, man. I'm sorry I exposed you to it, but it is. It's ugly, but it's necessary. I became a cop to put away drug dealers, the poisoners, the criminals, not to be one. You sound just like me. And I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. You're scared. I'm not scared. Yes, you are. You're terrified. Everybody goes through that the first time I went through it. The sooner you can match what's in your head what's going on in the real world the better you're gonna feel in this business you gotta have a little dirt on you for anybody to trust you and when all this is behind you there's gonna be a whole other world that opens up for you i walk a higher path son i can give you the keys to all the doors 
What are you talking about? My guys are pretty good, but they're not leaders. They're clowns. You're a leader. You want my job? You got it. You want to lock up poisonous? This is the best place to do it. But you got to just, you know, take your time. You make detective. You play the game. You grow wise. And then you can change things. But you got to change them from the inside, son. Let's go downtown to the station. You talk to my guy, Stan. And then we'll walk you through what you got to say to the DA guys, okay? What Training Day does, uh, better than any movie that I've seen that's that's kind of looked at the anti-hero or the villain or whatever like that, is um, that it does this amazing job while you're watching the film of moving the line of acceptability just a little bit every single time an act occurs. So the premise of the movie is that uh, Ethan Hawke plays like this – sort of rookie detective he's uh following denzel washington he's this veteran detective around for a day uh learning the ropes of like i think he's busting drug dealers and stuff like that so he's learning the ropes possibly going to take his job later on and uh and the way that denzel washington's character operates is that you know he does something a little off the book and then it's a, and then it's a little bit worse, and then it's a little bit worse, and then somebody gets killed, and it's like, and then something even worse happens, and then by the time you realize it as an audience that things have gone too far, Ethan Hawke's gone so far down the road that he doesn't understand, like he's he's compromised so much that he doesn't even understand what's happened to him. I think that that's what stood out to me about Training Date was the seductive nature of it. You know, there's there's an there's an enchanting aspect to evil. And I think Ricardo touched on it with sympathy for the devil. I think, you know, these constant portrayals of the Joker and the the magnetism of that character for whatever reason. Um, I think that that's part of it, too. There's something kind of enthralling that kind of sucks you in like you're going into a spider web. And then when you realize like, oh, this is probably too far, then it's probably too late. And you've probably done something that you regret. And who better to play that than Denzel Washington, right? Like this angelic kind of presence, you know, and like this this completely like captivating, you know, beautiful person like draws you in to this web only to realize that he's destroyed you. Yeah, I think that's great. Wow. I haven't seen that movie. I wish I have. I like Denzel Washington, but I keep thinking of him on St. Elsewhere. <laughs> Wow, deep cut. <laughs> I always do, even to this day. And he was so sweet there. But it sounds like he's pretty he's pretty wicked in that movie, I understand. Well, I mean, maybe towards the end, for the majority of the movie, he's just kind of compelling. Just kind of uh understands the world and how to get things done, you know. And if you want to get things done, you've got to break the rules. You've got to compromise. You've got to do all this stuff. There's a there's a sports writer who has a quote that part of me, I mean, part of me understands and believes, obviously, but then another part of me doesn't like it. Uh, and his quote is that if you ask an athlete a question, it doesn't matter what they say to you in response. The answer is always money. Mm. 
Oh no! Ouch. So it doesn't it doesn't matter what question you you ask them. The answer is always money. That's why. But they may tell you something else. But the answer is money. And that, you know, like I can see how you get to that point where you're just like trying to help your family, trying to help your community, trying to help, and then the next thing you know, you're in a whole nother world. You're like waking up on Mars. I mean, I think that that's how you get to circumstances like LeBron James trying to argue for human rights abuses in China. It's like the answer is money. Like oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Right? And it's just it's just moving those little lines further and further and further until you're saying something that how do you believe that? You know, I'm often struck by the gymnastics that people will go through to believe that a call is a call when it's something else. It's that um, element of enticing that you mentioned, Greg, that I think is often um, at play when it comes to discerning new ministries and sort of where you can best serve God. And I don't see, I don't experience that in my ministry as evil, but I do experience it as like faithfulness and not, Hmm. you know, so it would be too strong for me to say that that's sinful or evil, but, um, but it's not necessarily faithfulness. It's not a faithful kind of um, alignment with your And I guess I would say, I don't know that I do either, but I can see how it leads you down the path. That's right. Right. It's like you're taking steps now. Yeah. Like you may not be at your destination, but you're walking. That's right. Yeah. Because every decision that you make, I mean, I feel like that's the journey of the Christian life and has been my sort of shaping and forming as a Christian, you know, for my adulthood is um, just those slow, like those moments again and again and again, where you just return to God. Like you step a little bit out of the path and then you return and you step out again and you return. And um, if you don't return, the stepping out goes farther and farther. All right, Betsy. What's All right. <laughs> we, we have time for you now. I'm sorry. Wait, Uh-oh. I'm sorry. No, I'm, oh, I'm being told. Oh, I'm oh feeling, we're out of time. I'm feeling disregarded and not. <laughs> I feel like I need to, you know, develop a whole mythos around myself. Maybe I'm somebody like Charles Manson. Oh, you Whoa. went with the Manson. Oh, okay. The Manson. Okay. I had this class in high school where it was this, it was definitely, I feel like I might have talked about it on this podcast before, but it's one of those classes where it's like a teacher who is a pretty good teacher who, she was, a, she was actually a really great teacher who taught at the high school for a long time. And it was like, you know, hey, you want to make up a senior elective, whatever you want it to be? That sounds great. Go for it. So she did. It, it's called Advanced Philosophy in Human Behavior. Well, and so it had, it's, we talked about these different philosophers and, you know, Kant and like all kinds of stuff like that. And then she also talked about a lot of the 1960s, <laughs> Vietnam and, and, and cultural movements and, you know, folkway violations and, you know, trying to kind of test societal norms. There was a little sociology mixed in there, but you had to pick a book to read. And I don't remember what else was on the reading list, but I read Helter Skelter. <laughs> and so, you know, senior in high school and I'd read this book at night in my, you know, wooden sleigh bed with my oh, Ralph Lauren comforter, <laughs> small, you know, Jack Russell Terrier in the bed. And every time I read it, it was a paperback, it would fly open to like this very tight shot of Charles Manson that was in the picture section in the middle. So it got to a point where I had to scotch tape the center of the book 
close the pictures to <laughs> each other because I just couldn't see the face. It was just so scary, right? And, you know, whether Vincent Bugliosi, you know, he, whether this is exaggeration or whatever, but just that idea, and maybe it kind of links links some to maybe a little bit of all of your stories, that that idea of someone who, that everything is going along fine. And, and or at least it's, you're, you're, you draw people in because they feel helpless. You have also felt helpless and powerless in your life. So you conjure this person that you're going to be that draws these people to you, these lost people in the world who want to take care of you and you want to, you're going to take care of them and all these promises and just kind of that building of the family. And I found that I've been drawn to different literature and different things over the course of time uh, that have talked about that idea. It's probably also why I have an interest in cults as well. But like this, this, when that thing switches from this being the absolute best place in the world for me and people here who really understand me to when it then becomes, but now I need you to prove it. Mm-hmm. And now I need you to show it. And it's probably some of the dangerous parts of religion that it's like, you know, well now, you know, you really need to earn God's love as opposed to it's something that is, you know, rained upon you consistently that people like Manson and others, you know, cause was, was he, a special character and you know not really i mean i loved his the portrayal of him on the most recent season of mind hunters i'm special agent tench this is special agent ford this isn't an interrogation mr manson we know you didn't commit the tate or la bianca murders what we're interested in is your relationship with your family and what bearing that relationship had on the crimes please we'd like to hear from you in your own words about what happened do you mind if we record this? Over the years, some members have blamed you for the murders, then changed their story. Others, quite famously, have protected you. You seem to have a hold on them, even from prison. But no matter what they say, you maintain the same story. Because my truth is simple, and your truth's complicated. Complicated how? Well, you don't see it, but the only truth is now. Now is the only thing that's real. Well, we're mainly interested in then, how you met, influenced, and indoctrinated the people who followed you. Indoctrinated? Come on, man. How did the family begin? Did you start with the girls? These people you call a family, they're just children that you didn't want. You threw them out like trash. So I picked them up off the side of the road, and I said this, in love, there is no wrong. Love? That's what you taught your family? You're a family man, Agent Tench? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's a family man, too, with his keys and his gun. He's teaching his children right now. They're learning his beliefs, and they'll be living them. And you, you're teaching your children. Look at yourself. Judge the lies you live in. These children that come at you with knives, they're your children. They were your followers, Charlie. You gave them the knife. You taught them. I didn't teach them. I just tried to help them stand up. And they stood up, went out, and killed seven innocent people. Was it now it's my fault? It's my fault that your children do what they do? Your own children, who you were neglecting? We know that no one in the family acted without your approval, Charlie. <laughs> well, if you know, you know. You don't need to talk to me. It's yourself you need to talk to. He can spin you around with his stories, and he can just kind of get you into that mind frame of like, 
okay, all right, you know. And so I, that's that's why, I, and that some of it is it's that evil in plain sight, especially when you start kind of going back and looking at just the way, the interactions. Between, and I have not seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but there was um, that podcast. Oh, they did a wonderful Manson series, and it's not it's, yeah. like it's not on anymore. You but must just remember like, this. Yes, 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 and that 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 Great. just totally just woven into the fabric of Hollywood. You know, it's just like this is the times, and it was in totally. plain sight, and and then it just becomes zoop, somebody's vision, and it just becomes all mixed up and terrible. You know, I never felt like I've ever been taken in by somebody like that, but you definitely, I've definitely run into people that have that kind of oh yeah magnetism to them for sure. You know, definitely in the ministry, and it's like you got to watch what you do with that. Yep. You have a gift, my friend. And it can go very wrong for you right here. And I think that also in me, I know that some of my shadow side and the thing that can be played upon in me is my pride Mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm doing a good job and wanting that to be real and needing affirmation. And then we're the same, Betsy. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it. And check. So, you know, if the Beach Boys don't like your song, Sliz, right. you know, you can just keep <laughs> yeah. playing them. Start a family. This is, yep. that's right. We live in the desert. Killer family. Right. Right. I need a little ranch. Oh, you know, man. but there's, but there's, there's my guy. Charles Manson still fascinates me after, after all these Shut years. Um, probably, you know, Jim Jones would have been my oh. number two. Yeah, why did uh, I think of Jim Jones? That would have been the one. No. Oh, man. Because you're still steeping in the Joker, Liz. I am. I'm just fresh out of the Joker. I agree, though, Betsy. For years and years, and I don't know if this was, like, because I was a child of the 80s, and he would constantly come up for, like, parole hearings and stuff like that. But, like, he was the boogeyman image for the longest time. Yeah. Right? For me, it was him and the guy who was in that Hellraiser movie. (laughs) <laughs> with the pinhead oh, i never yeah, yeah, yeah. i never watched hellraiser <laughs> but if i had to dream of scary people it was charles manson pinhead 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 manson and he kept talking so seriously all the time with all these pins in his head <laughs> was scary yeah or funny i don't know there's got to be some good pinhead memes out there guys find them for us all right well thanks guys for going down this evil road with us i mean it's very dark and poorly lit with bad signage greg but it's good to know (laughs) that there are people out there working on the side of good Hoping to that's right. Absolutely. Fight against the evil. And I think that that's most of us. And I think yeah. that it's yeah. good. Yeah. You can find our podcast <laughs> at poppingcollarspodcast.com. Um, you can find us on social media, but I, I got to tell you, we're, I'm probably not going to talk to you on there. Um, so, um, you know, like us if you want to. But I got to tell you, the more I the more I learn about Mark Zuckerberg, the more I think oh Jesse Eisenberg nailed that guy. Absolutely oh. nailed that guy in in social network. And we have a new podcast that Betsy and I have been working on called Going on 30. 
where we take a look back at movies that were nominated for Best Picture 30 years ago. We just released a new episode. I just posted it today on a movie called The Accidental Tourist. It's horrendous. I think it's a horror movie. I think it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. The Accidental Horror Movie. It yeah, may right. be the source of all evil. It uh, might the be. Accidental Tourist. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It could possibly be. Um, so check that one out. Uh, just type in going on 30 in your podcast app and subscribe and you'll find the show. And with that, that's Popping College for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Ricardo. And we'll talk to you next time. Keep those college pops. Oh,